Father God, we thank you because we are satisfied through your son, Jesus Christ. And as Taylor mentioned earlier, we all have these ebbs and flows in life. We have these ups and downs. We have these challenges in life. And yet, because we have you and because we're satisfied in what your son has given us, uh, we can remain joyful and hopeful in the midst of every circumstance that comes our way. We look forward to opening your word now and studying your word together. Would you enlighten us, encourage us, illuminate your truth so that it changes us this morning? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Follow along as I read our text this morning. It's only three uh, short verses, but these verses are packed with significance. And so I'm looking forward to working through these together. So you can follow along if you have a Bible with you. Uh, The words will be up on the screen. Uh, Jump to verse 11 once you get to chapter 11. And I'll be reading Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. Okay, so follow along as I read. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Again, three short verses, uh, but three verses, I think, packed with meaning and significance in our lives. If you've been here over the last little while, the last several sermons that we've covered through this chapter of Luke have been on the issue of prayer. And if you're like me, I, I hope that this study has been instrumental in shaping the way you understand prayer, how you pray, uh, answers to prayer, uh, and so forth. Back in verses 2 to 4, if you glance up there for just a moment, we studied this abbreviated version of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And one of the takeaways from that Lord's Prayer is that you and I are to have a humble dependence that we display when we come to God in prayer. We come to him seeking forgiveness for our own sin. We come to him asking for his help in forgiving other people when they sin against us. We've found from that prayer that we're to come to God and ask him for our provisions, our daily provisions, both physical as well as spiritual. Without, without God, you, you wouldn't be here this morning. Because you're breathing his oxygen. You're, you're taking in his sunlight this morning. He's given you food uh, this morning out of his earth. Everything that we need uh, for our health and well-being come from God. Plus, on top of that, we have all of the spiritual gifts that he's given to us. So all of those things are in that prayer. Further, uh, in that prayer, we also plead for his help in avoiding temptation. You and I, I hope, want to live holy lives, pleasing to the Lord, but our flesh is so fickle. And so we come to, the, come to God and say, say to him, help stave off evil from our lives. And when we do encounter it, we trust that your strength will be what we need to say no to the temptation and yes to Christ. 
we learned a lot more from those verses, but certainly not less than that. If you miss those, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons if you couldn't be with us those past several Sundays. And then last time when we were together, uh, we learned about persistence in prayer, verses 5 to 10, all about persisting in prayer. And we learned that we are to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And that persistence doesn't necessarily change the mind of God, but it is the means by which God chooses to change our circumstances. And so when we come to him and we pray, we pray expectantly, we pray earnestly, and we're yearning for God to move in our lives in such a way that it brings him glory at the same time that it meets our need. But here's the thing. We also learned that just because we ask God for something, that doesn't necessarily obligate him to give us that exact thing, right? Does God answer every one of your prayers? Yes, he does, but sometimes his answer is yes, sometimes his answer is no, Uh, sometimes his answer is I'm going to give you this instead, or sometimes his answer is simply wait. And it's that part that I want us to look at this morning. Because when God answers with a heartbreaking no to our prayer, there is a real temptation within us to see God as something less than good. We might not see God as bad, but we might struggle with seeing him as good. Because if God were good, then he surely would have given me what I asked for, right? And so we begin to think that God is is holding out on us, that he's, he's not being fair. Maybe something else crosses your mind. And so if we don't address that temptation that attacks our heart, then we run the risk of some who have gone before us who have ultimately abandoned the faith, who maybe came to the conclusion, why serve a God who's supposedly good but allows bad things to happen in my life? That is not a God worth following. And some people walk away disgusted by the notion of a God who cares. And so to combat that, Jesus includes these instructive verses at the end of this little section. The whole thrust of these verses, 11 to 13, is simple. God is good. God is good. You cannot read the whole of Scripture and come away with anything less. God is holy. God is love, God is all those things, but God is also good, even when we don't understand what he's doing. And so my goal this morning is to give you a glimpse of the goodness of God. Just on a personal note, it, is, it has been this doctrine of God that has so affected my life uh, in recent years. There are seasons of my life and perhaps there are seasons of your life in which you feel the heavy hand of God's discipline. Or there may be seasons of your life when 
Sin has been committed against you, and it's hard to press on. There are seasons of life where you may wonder if God has all but forgotten about you. I can assure you, if you can understand the goodness of God, goodness that is unceasing, goodness that never changes, despite your circumstances, you can have joy. True joy. That's Christ's purposes in this passage. I want you to grasp it. I want you to really, really grasp this this morning. There are two ways that God shows his goodness. One we call general goodness. One we call special goodness. The general goodness of God refers to his universal and common ways in which he displays his goodness to all people, irrespective of their faith or beliefs. In other words, it is the goodness of God that extends to all creation, and it is not limited to specific individuals. Let me just give you several examples Uh, These verses are going to be on the screen, but if you want to just jot down the references, it'd be great to go back and study these over time. Here's a lot of examples of the general goodness of God. First, God provides life and sustenance for all mankind. In Matthew 5, we read, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Rain clouds don't just form over Christian homes, right? They're for everyone, everywhere. In Acts 14, we hear the echo of a similar thought. Yet he, God, did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. God also demonstrates a common grace to all of mankind. It is within God's right, if he wanted to, to destroy anything that sins against him immediately. And yet, God shows patience and grace even to those who rebel against him. In Psalm 33, verse 5, we read, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. God calls all people to come to repentance to him so that he can show the full extent of his grace. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it states, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In God's general goodness, he also makes sure that every person knows he exists. In Romans 1, verse 20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God reveals himself to everyone in a general way. You may not think about this often, 
But even when you look around the world today and you see all kinds of evil, even that evil is reduced by the general goodness of God. How so? Well, in Romans chapter 2, it reminds us that when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. What does that mean? It means that even unbelievers know right from wrong in one sense because God has written that on the hearts of men. That is why even unbelievers will write laws against things like murder and embezzlement and all manners of evil. They know it's wrong. How? By the general goodness of God, even though they don't acknowledge it. The general goodness of God is evident and applicable to all men, all women, all children in the world. God doesn't owe that to sinful people. But because he is good, he makes provisions day in and day out. And these are many examples, and there are more, of his general goodness. Because God is good. The other way that God shows his goodness is what we call his special goodness. This denotes the particular and personal ways in which God shows his goodness to individuals who have a right relationship with him. And probably the most prominent in this category is his provision for salvation. God was good to send his one and only son, Jesus, into the world to be the propitiation for sin. That's a big word that means for the satisfaction of. When Jesus died on the cross, he made satisfaction for the debt owed by sinful humans to a just and holy God. Jesus took that punishment on himself and now he offers his life to humanity. And in 1 John 1, 9, we read, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the most remarkable manifestation of his goodness. Forgiveness of sin through the payment of Jesus Christ. John goes on in his book, in 1 John 3, 1, to say, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. And as his children, he gives us all kinds of spiritual blessings. In his goodness, God gives us his love. He gives us his wisdom. He gives us his peace. He gives us power. He gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us his presence. And for the rest of time, what begins now in this world and continues on through eternity, God gives us eternal life. Why? Because he is a good God. 
I love how the psalmist summarizes it in Psalm 119, verse 68. He says, you are good and do good. You are good. It is part of the essence of who God is. It is a core attribute of God. You are good. And you should be forever grateful for that. Because the opposite of a good God would be a bad God, one who is unpredictable, one who's cranky, one who's vengeful, one who cannot be appeased. And as Ryan mentioned earlier, that is basically the God of every other religion. But the God of Christianity is a good God. All the time. Without fail. So why spend all this time covering this one attribute of God? Because you must be convinced of the goodness of God before you come to him in prayer. Otherwise, if you ask something of God and he says no, you will be devastated. But if you understand that God is good and God does only good, then you can rest in whatever answer he gives you. Psalm 84 verse 11 states emphatically, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Listen to this next part. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Think about that for a moment. If you come to God and you ask him for something in prayer and his answer is no, this verse is still true. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If yes to your prayer would have been the good thing, then he would have said yes to your prayer. But in this case, if no is the higher good, then he says no according to his divine attribute of perfect goodness. Charles Spurgeon once said, God is too kind, excuse me, God is too good to be unkind and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When we cannot trace his hand, we must Trust his heart. And God's heart is always and everywhere good. So knowing that, let's jump back into this text this morning and let's see how Jesus illustrates the goodness of God in prayer. Look at verse 11 again. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? The implied answer is no one, no father would do that. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. And of course, again, no good father would ever do that. There are certain snakes or serpents that can mimic the looks or actions of a fish in water. And there are some scorpions uh, that are known to 
pierce an egg and eat what's inside of it and then use that shell as their home. And there are some little small white scorpions that when their tail is folded up, it kind of looks like a little egg. And Jesus' rhetorical question here is easily answered. No earthly father who provides for and cares for and protects his children would ever give his child a snake or a scorpion, right? Such a response would not only be unloving, it would be absolutely cruel because it would put that child in harm's way. And so Jesus draws this comparison in verse 13. He says, if you then, you earthly fathers, you earthly parents, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The comparison is between evil fathers and heavenly fathers. Notice how Jesus starts this. If you then who are evil, what do you mean, Jesus? I'm not evil. What are you, what are you, what are you talking about? That doesn't, that doesn't sound very nice. Well, it means simply that innate human sinfulness is for Jesus a basic presupposition. Ever since Adam and Eve, Every single person was born into this world as a sinner. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That doesn't mean that you were conceived as the result of an act of iniquity. It means that when you came out of the womb, you came out a sinner. We have lots of little babies born in our church, and we love them. But Pastor Vody Bacham affectionately refers to babies in his church as vipers in diapers. <laughs> We're born with sin. We're held guilty for sin. And then we contribute to that sin with our own sin. We're all sinners. Jesus knows that. There's an interesting story in, in Luke 13 that This group of people, they come to Jesus and they assume that if bad things happen, it must have been because the people were bad. And because they don't hold to that, they assume that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. And listen to what Jesus says in response to that. In Luke 13, he answered them and he says, Luke 13 verse 2, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What's Jesus' point? You're all sinners. And if you don't repent, you will perish. And so when Jesus says here in our text, in verse 13, that earthly fathers are evil, he's not saying that earthly fathers don't do good things for their children, because they do. His point is this. Even if sinful earthly fathers born in sin and sinners of their own right can give good things to their children, then how much more do you think a perfectly good father in heaven will act toward his children? He will only ever give them 
good things, right? Yeah, exactly. Listen, Jesus says when you come to God in persistent prayer and He answers because He is perfectly good all the time without exception, you can trust that His answer is good no matter what it is. You might not understand it. You might be confused. It might hurt. It might seem like God doesn't care, but nothing could be further from the truth. God is a good God, and no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. He is giving you the very best answer for your good. And notice what he says here in verse 13. Notice what he gives. I love this. Notice what he gives. Matthew, if you go back and read Matthew's parallel account of this discourse, he just simply says, the Father who is in heaven gives good things. Luke here defines the good thing. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, the heavenly Father gives what? He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. But I don't want the Holy Spirit. I just want my health to be restored. I don't want the Holy Spirit. I just just need my bank account to be filled. I just want my son or daughter to obey me. I just want to get married. I just want to have a child. I want, I want, I want. But what does God give? He gives his children the best answer to their prayer. He gives them himself. He gave them Jesus, who went to the cross, and now he gives them his spirit for their daily living. You and I live in daily dependence on God because our Father gave us the one good and necessary thing, the Holy Spirit. And let me show you how this works because this is so cool and it is so practical and we don't think like this and yet Jesus wants us to think like this. Maybe you're like me and you come to God and you say, God, would you help me to root out this particular sin out of my life? It's displeasing to you and I want to obey you. Does God just magically zap that sin out of my life? Well, he could, but that's not typical. What does he do instead? He gives me his spirit And his spirit transforms me. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from who? The Lord, who is the Spirit. Maybe you come to God and you say, God, I am praying to you to help me with my communication with my spouse or with my child or or with my classmate. And does God give that instantly? Boom, you have perfect communication. No, what does he do? He gives you his spirit to help you. How do I know that? 
Because the Spirit is connected to our speech in Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. There's the communication. There's the prayer. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's the Spirit. The Spirit of God helps the heart and mind of the believer such that he gives us grace in our speech. And when we don't rely on him and we do it ourselves, the Spirit within us is grieved because we're going against his directive and against his empowerment. You see how the two are connected? God, help me with my communication. All right, here's my spirit. Help me root out this particular sin. Okay, here's my spirit. God, help me to understand your word better. Okay, here's my spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.12 And now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. It's the spirit within you that helps you to understand Know and apply God's word. God doesn't just pump AI into your brain so that you are supernaturally capable. Instead, he gives you his supernatural power in the form of his spirit who answers your prayer. Help me to know your word. God, help me to be a better parent. Great prayer. And God says, all right, here's my spirit. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And how am I going to know the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Because the Spirit is teaching me, based on the verse we just read a moment ago. Lord, I don't know where I'm fitted for service. Can you help me find my place in this world or help me find my place in this church? Help me find my place in my spiritual... I want to serve. How do I do that? 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7. Now there are a variety of gifts but the same Spirit and there are a variety of services but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And how do I get these gifts? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's the Spirit. How do I serve? God says, here's my Spirit. Here's the gift that He's given you. Maybe one more. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you are struggling with doubt about your salvation. God, I need to know if I'm truly saved. Will you help me with this struggle of doubt? Our good God answers. How does he answer? Romans 8, 16. The Spirit, there he is again, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Who bears witness? The Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Why go through all those verses? 
What do I want you to see from that? I want you to see that according to Jesus in Luke 11, when you pray to a good God, he will give you the very best gift, his spirit. And it's the spirit that you need the most in order to live a life holy and righteous. You don't necessarily need perfect health. You need the spirit to give you joy in the midst of the suffering. You don't necessarily need stockpiles of cash. You need the spirit to give you your daily bread as you seek his righteousness. You don't necessarily need a perfect marriage, as awesome as that would be. You need a spirit who helps you love your spouse, respect your spouse, forgive your spouse in the midst of all of his or her warts. You don't necessarily need to have all the perfect words to say. You need the spirit so that his fruit of kindness and love and peace and self-control manifests such that whatever you say, you say in a way and with the intent of pleasing the Father. And you don't necessarily need a perfect church. You need the Spirit to help you use your gifts to serve this imperfect church for his glory until he returns to perfect his bride for all time. Friend, your heavenly father is good and does good. Don't ever forget that. Plead with him persistently in prayer for more and more of his spirit so that you walk in joy and righteousness. He will answer that prayer. Give me your spirit with a resounding yes every single time. Will you commit to doing that? Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to fill us with his spirit, help us to walk by his spirit in obedience and to trust him when we can't understand the answer, to trust him. You're a good God. You always do good. And so I rest in that. I'm confident in that. I can be okay with your answer, whatever it is. I'm also going to pray for our meal. And as Ryan said, when we're done singing our final song, Make your way out. Enjoy lunch. I hope you stay and join us. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you that you are a good God. You're always good. In a general way, you're good to everyone. And then in a very personal and special way, you're good to your children. You give us blessing upon blessing upon blessing. We don't deserve that. And yet you you, you forgive us. You, you give us spiritual blessings you equip us with everything we need to live life in godliness and so we trust you and we come to you this morning and we come with all kinds of prayer requests we uh, health things and spiritual things and relational things we come to you all kinds and we ask for you to intervene and and you answer those over and over and over give us your spirit i pray that if your answer to our specific request is no that we would still trust that you are a good God 
And then if there were a better answer, you would have given it to us. But this is the best answer. So God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the way it abounds in our lives. Thank you for the food that we're about to eat. I pray you'd bless it to our bodies. Thank you for all the cooks and folks that have brought food in. I thank you for everybody that's going to stay here and and celebrate together. I appreciate the fellowship. And I just thank you, Lord, personally for surrounding me and Ryan and Jason with such a, a loving, kind, compassionate, encouraging congregation. Blesses our souls and spurs us on to continue in ministry. We love you. Thank you for that particular goodness. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.